working on a series. The book, how we got it, how to get the most out of it. There'll be three more after tonight. Don't you feel godly when you look around at these empty seats? Don't you feel spiritual? Being in church Sunday night. Isaiah 66, 1 to 4, this is not the text I'm going to be looking at tonight, but it's been kind of a theme text for uh, these last few studies. So I'm going to read it at the start. So it's the one who trembles at God's word. That's the part we've been kind of into for the last three Sundays and a bit. Isaiah 66, four verses. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you will build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, so that all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. And then these abrupt verses, starting at three. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. Now I've said every week, and just in case this is your first Sunday night here... You have these couplets where the, the first part of the verse, he who slaughters an ox, sacrifices a lamb, presents a grain offering, makes a memorial offering, and then you have those offensive second parts to the couplets, kills a man, breaks a dog's neck, offers pig's blood, blesses an idol. And, and the idea there is, even though these things, the first part, were commanded of the Lord, And they're done in obedience to the Lord, but when the life isn't lived with a a recognition of God's presence outside of the religious sphere of life, that even these things that the Lord commanded for his people under the Old Covenant became offensive to God. He wasn't interested in them. These have chosen their own ways, middle of verse 3. And their soul delights in their abominations. By the way, that speaks to the idea it speaks to the idea that I can balance, balance the scales of holiness in my life. I, I, know there's, I know there's something about which the Holy Spirit speaks. And he speaks to my heart through conscience, through the voice of the church, through the scriptures. And I'm not yielded in that area. I, I, it's precious to me. What I'm doing on my own terms is precious to me. And I'm not ready to listen, but I can justify it because, after all, I, I sing in the choir. I'm, I'm, in, I'm on the pastoral staff. I, I usher. I'm on worship team. I, and, and the idea here is when, when the heart isn't united around honoring God, the, the, the things that we do, even in obedience to the Lord are canceled out by the ignoring, a heart that doesn't tremble at his word in this one area. It's a pertinent text. Because because we all have that tendency to think, well, I know I'm not... 
This is what we say, isn't it? Nobody's perfect. I should tell you how many times that gets said in the offices of this church. People come, well, nobody's perfect. I get that. But you have to strive to be perfect in your obedience to the Lord. In other words, you can't just use, well, nobody's perfect as an excuse for saying, and by the way, I'm just, because nobody's perfect, I'm just not going to listen in this area. You, you can't do that. Because then, your preaching, if it's me, your, your instrumental playing, your worship leading, your, your attendance at church, your Bible reading, your prayer life, it's all like pig's blood to God. Do you see? It's quite striking, isn't it? All right. By the way, that's not the text for tonight. But it has been kind of the central text for this series of, of messages. That there's this, there's this uh, frame of mind. There's this type of heart that God is uh, particularly anxious to uh, work with. To, to speak into, to bless it's not that he loves this person, this one who is contrite of heart and humble and trembles at his word. It's not like he just loves that person and no one else. But rather, he sees, he sees fertility in that kind of heart. He sees potential for the unfolding of all of his purpose and plan in that kind of heart. So I want, I want to be that kind of heart. The opposite of it this isn't in your notes. Um, the opposite of it is what the Bible calls a hard heart. And I wish I could just think of some kind of, some kind of image of, 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 of a heart here that... Think of one that's maybe like uh, frozen, like covered with ice, hard. And, 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 and God, God's gracious and God speaks and it just goes boom, boom, bounces off. And nothing, nothing settles. Nothing gets in. It's just, it's all, it's all <clears throat> inside. That's the opposite of one who's contrite, humble, trembles at, at my word. So in the last message, we, we looked at two passages that could be confusing because they describe something similar to a trembling heart, but not quite the same. That's online. You can check that out. We studied Acts 24, the response of Felix to Paul's words of witness. And, and Felix, he calls Paul back. He wants to talk to him. He's interested in what he says. He agrees with Paul. He knows Paul is speaking the truth. And, and, it, and it, his heart trembles. In some translations, that word is used describing Felix. But he sends him away. Okay, yeah, we'll talk again. People do that to God. Not right now. And then we studied James 2.19. It's a really uh, pungent kind of a text where, where James says, you have this belief about God, and he's speaking to Christian people, and he says, that's, that's great. I, but you need to know demons believe in God, and they tremble. They know the truth, they believe the truth, it makes them tremble, but neither one of those passages, Felix before Paul or the faith of demons, neither one of those is describing what the Bible means in Isaiah when it talks about a, a, one who trembles at my word. So I want to look tonight at a story from the Bible that does 
describe a trembling heart. And I'll, I'll go through it fairly quickly, but I do want to give some detail to the story. Has to do with young King Josiah of Judah. And here's a great text. It's 2 Kings 22:19, and I'll give you some background to it in a minute. Where God speaks about this king to this king Josiah, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against it and its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse, and, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. I have heard you, declares the Lord. Doesn't God hear everybody? Doesn't God hear everybody who calls on him? Or, or is there something particular being described in this text? And I think there is, and I think the text will bear that out. I need to back up a bit. The whole story is found in 2 Kings chapter 22, and it's a really fascinating one. You don't need to look it up. Young King Josiah comes to the throne at a really tender age <clears throat> upon the death of his father, Ammon. Ammon was one of the most wicked kings in all of Judea's uh, idolatrous, immoral, blood-spattered history. The text says over and over again, describing Ammon, that it says Ammon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's a good way of saying it. It's a good way of reminding us that we don't just do bad things. That even if we don't take the time to notice it and think about it, the evil we do, even in secret, is always done in the eyes of the Lord. That's a fascinating description. So during Ammon's reign, the temple had fallen into just total disuse in terms of the true worship of the Lord, idols had been set up inside the temple. How's that? No one did anything about it. Nobody complained. Nobody missed God at all. And then Josiah takes the situation into his heart. We don't know why. We're not given all the background, but something in young Josiah says the temple shouldn't be in ruins. We should spruce it up. And so we have a record of his instructions. 2 Kings 22, just verses 4, 5, and 6. The king speaks, go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that you may count the money that has been put into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. Got a building fund. Let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters, the builders, the masons. Let them use it for buying timber, the quarried stone, to repair the house. That's good. There's something in all of us loyalists to God that wants to say, well, way to go, Josiah. But it isn't the part of the story that deserves mention. There were other kings who had done their bit to spruce up the temple. But there's something more important to notice about young King Josiah. Something happens. So as they're cleaning through all the dust and the rubble, Hilkiah, Hilkiah is the high priest. And as they're scrummaging about, he finds a copy of the book of the law of God, 22.8. 
And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Surprise, surprise. Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. It's like he doesn't know what to do with it. And he read it. So, so think about this. As far as we can tell from the account, in all of the work redoing the temple, this is the first time anyone even mentions the book of the law. God's word of that time. It had been buried somewhere. No one knows where. Along with all the religious paraphernalia. You got your fountains, your pans, your... your and somewhere in all the stuff piled up with dust, there's the law of God. Nobody, until... Hilkiah took the time to dig it up and dust it off. Nobody even missed it. Nobody noticed that it wasn't there. I've been thinking about that. Uh, apparently it's possible... <laughs> apparently it's possible to keep a lot of religious machinery going. And nobody noticed that the word is missing. The word is missing. There's not an appetite for the word as much anymore. Can I tell you a private story? Don't forget where we are. A couple weeks ago, Thursday, I, took, I take Thursdays off. Rini and I drove to uh, Niagara-on-the-Lake. So we're walking around Niagara-on-the-Lake, and uh, we used to, not, not so much recently, but that's where there's the... Now, most of you have probably been there, and you've seen that big fancy house where Trisha Romance has all her gallery and stuff in Niagara on the Lake. I remember the first time, first time we, we actually got a Trisha Romance. I still have the picture of Rini beaming holding this. So we went by and uh, noticed that if you go, by the way, you, you can't see through the windows anymore. They're all papered over. And there's a sign on the front yard that says, for lease. And she's gone. It's just, that was a style, and those were pictures that people liked, and it was kind of a hot item. So we're walking. Now we're going down to get uh, lunch somewhere. And, and it's a beautiful day. I'm holding her hand. We're walking down Main Street. She says, it's a picture, you know, of what you're trying to do. Okay, now she has my interest. Like, what? What? I said, you got something that at one time people were really, really desirous of and interested in and wanted. But now those pictures don't fit in with today's decorating style in the same way. And there's not a demand for them. So I'm so like, how does that relate to me? And she says, you're going to find out that the kind of teaching of the word that you do is not a property that churchgoers are going to be that interested in for very long. And I wondered if that's true. I wondered if that's true. And so there's, there's Shaphan. He reads this book.
The account continues. Shaphan is the official secretary to the king. So he brings the book to young King Josiah, and the text says he just started reading it to him. What, what, what's he supposed to do? There's no protocol here. There's no plan. Here's what we found. Here's what it says, okay? And he's reading to the king. We don't know from the story what made him do this. Was he devout? Was he just feeling like, you know, he's the king, we really should keep him in the loop? And then, here's what the account says. 2 Kings 22, verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I've found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And so he gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen, because that's what Josiah had told them to do. So Shaphan wants them to know that they weren't just loafing around. Ten. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Oh yeah, Hilkiah has given me a book. He doesn't even... Does he know what it is? The high priest gave me this book. Let me read it to you. And so, now we know what they were doing when the book of the law was found. They weren't hunting for God's word. They were looking for money. That's what the text says. They were rooting around about the temple treasures to find out what they could use to finance this refurbishing project. And while they were looking quite literally for gold, they found something that's, that's more precious than gold. Everybody turn the page. So picture it. Josiah is a very young king. And perhaps, perhaps, for the very first time in his life, he actually hears... This word from the Lord read out loud. How would he hear it? What, what was going to be young King Josiah's response? Remember, remember, he is the son of one of the most wicked kings in all of Judah's history. There is, that point needs to be weighed. What I'm saying is there was nothing in Josiah's background. He wasn't brought up sitting around the table, joining hands and saying, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. He never learned Jesus loved me in Sunday school. There's, there's nothing in Josiah's upbringing but rebellion against God, a desecrating of God's truth, that's all he has in his background. There had been no exposure to the ways of God in Josiah's past. And now he hears words like they're from another planet for the very first time. He hears a book read to him by someone else. And this book confronts everything that he's heard up to that time. His whole way of life is being confronted as someone stands there and reads the law of God. And the reason I took time with that is verse 13 describes 
the miracle of miracles. Go inquire of the Lord for me. And for the people. And for all Judah. Concerning the words of this book that has been found. He, we don't know, but it doesn't even sound like he's that familiar with what to call it. For, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. Because our fathers, my dad, he's saying have not obeyed the words of this book to do all that is written concerning us. Wow! If that isn't enough, Josiah sends for Huldah, the prophetess, who knows the last time anybody consulted her, about what God has to say about Judah's neglect of God and his ways for all these years. 13, 14, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shulam, the son of Tikvar, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they all talked with her. Now, the reason for all those long, you try reading those names. The reason they're all there is to show that this wasn't just some off-the-wall uh, fly-by-night, but there's, there's this, under the Old Covenant, God raised up people to function prophetically. And, and that's just a way of identifying Huldah the prophet is very specifically as, as being raised in that tradition. But the point here, Josiah doesn't want to miss anything. He, he doesn't want just some approximate obedience to God's word. The people have been neglecting God for a long time. And he wants to be thorough. Huldah the prophetess gives her response. It's found in verse 15. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord. By the way, there aren't prophets like this anymore. Okay? That's, uh, there's a whole teaching online regarding that too. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. Wow. But, 18. To the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, listen, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me 
I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Wasn't that God would never, ever again show mercy to these people? But, you, but what you're seeing is a contrast. What you're seeing is the difference. Remember the Isaiah text. What you're seeing is the difference between someone, the one, the one, the prophet Isaiah says, who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. So that's Josiah. And then there's all of Judah and the judgment that God's going to bring on Judah. And Josiah, that one, is, is he's going to be spared in a particular way of seeing all of that. And what you're seeing is this. Here's what you're seeing. This is not the first time Judah has been warned about her iniquity. Been warning after warning after warning after warning. And prophet after prophet after prophet. They don't listen. Okay? They don't listen. So, so they, they will not be reached by someone like Shaphan coming to Josiah and reading the law of God. That is all that it takes to reach Josiah's heart because he is one who trembles at God's word. If you don't have that kind of heart, God's mercy comes in a firmer way because there is no other way to reach Judah except judgment. Then they will listen. Without a trembling heart toward God's word, there's no tool left for God to use to awaken other than judgment. The, the, the hard heart. Remember I talked about it where God, God does speak and just pew, pew, bounces off. Can't, can't feel anything. God has no other tool to awaken their souls. The heart, heart paints itself into this corner. But Josiah is different. This is, remember the text, this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one. Trembled before God's word just hearing it. I took time to work through this whole story because it, it drives home the preciousness of a trembling heart before God's word. So out of the pool of all of Judah's stubbornness and adultery and idolatry and rebellion, out of that pool we see one person, just like Isaiah described. We see one person standing out in God's eyes. Josiah has this trembling heart. His young heart trembled just at hearing the word of God. Think about this. What, what does it take for God to work mightily in a life? 
Here we are, all of us, me, you, here we are in this church tonight. What does it take for God to reach me, to reach you, and accomplish something of his kingdom purpose at a deeper level in our hearts? To bring change, repentance, change into my life, into your life. And the interesting thing about Josiah is he gets no more, he gets no more than we're getting right now. Josiah sees no miracle, right? He hears no voice from heaven. No angel comes to him. He, he, has, he has a book read to him. That's all he gets. And believe me, believe me, it is, it is, it is rare, it is rare that such a dramatic result comes from such a common cause. It is rare, but it will work. This is the one to whom I will look. The one that's humble, contrite, and trembles at my word. It's all that's needed. It's all that's needed for a trembling heart. I think, I think, the results in my life that are most pleasing to the Lord, the results in my life of spiritual growth that are most pleasing to the Lord and are the best evidence of where my heart is, are the ones that don't require an angelic vision or a shaking up of my life. But it was enough that I sensed God speak in his word. Let's be the kind of church. Let's be the kind of church that while there's wonderful heart lifting worship and praise, continuous prayer, great missionary endeavor around the world. But, but let us always be the kind of church where all God has to do is say something and our hearts quake because it's God. 